If you watch that video carefully, we saw that in 1956, our country adopted the slogan, In God We Trust. It is printed on every bill and every coin that we have. How many of you knew that, by the way? Oh, my goodness. I don't even need to preach the rest of the sermon. Let's just pray right now and close out. In God We Trust is printed on every bill. That's a little bit laughable, isn't it? Because if we were to be honest, we trust in about everything but God. We trust in our finances, our wealth, our possessions, our retirement, our health. And in today's message, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to ask the question, what if we actually do take our national model? By the way, this is our national motto. If we actually take this and actually apply it to our lives and actually put our finances and say, in God we trust, what would happen if we lived this out? And I just need to clear the air for a second. No one is excited right now about this sermon. And if you brought a friend today, you're just thinking, thanks, Nathan, we brought a friend and you're going to talk about money. Thanks a lot. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. So glad that you could be here today out of all the Sundays to bring somebody. And some of you might be thinking, I knew it. Church is all about money. That's what you're thinking. All they wanted was our money the entire time. It's all going to come down to this. And if it always comes down to the 1996 movie, Jerry Maguire, show me the money. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because this is what I'm going to say to that. I counted this week how many messages I have given at Venture Christian Church. I have given 51 messages at Venture Christian Church. This is number 52. Guess how many of those 51 have been about money? Zero. I have given zero sermons about money in 51. So thank you for bringing that up and acting like that's all we talk about is money. And number three, the reason we are going to talk about money is because the Bible talks about money. In the Gospels, what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one out of 10 verses talk about money. Did you know that? One out of 10. Jesus gives 38 parables, and 16 of the 38 parables are parables about money, almost half of them. Now, catch this. There are about 500 verses in your Bible about prayer. That's a lot of verses about prayer. There are just shy of 500 verses in your Bible about faith. There are over 2,000 verses in your Bible about money. 500 about prayer, 500 about faith, and 2,000 about money. Let's put it a different way. If we were to come here today and not talk about money and never preach about money, we would be intentionally being unfaithful to the preaching of God's word because it's all over from Genesis to Revelation. It's all through the word of God. That would be an unfaithful approach to preaching. I've heard preachers say, I'm not going to talk about money. Well, you're going to have to skip a lot of the words of Jesus if you're going to do that. One of the few skills that preachers have, we don't have many. Don't laugh at that, Jim. If you pre- <laughs> thought you were my friends. If you preach long enough, you develop this instinctual ability to catch body language during sermons. And sometimes you can catch when somebody's really leaning in, they're really listening, the Holy Spirit is working, and you even leave. The, the, the preacher leaves, and they're thinking about on Sunday. And I bet this happens during the music as well. You, hey, he or she was really listening. The Spirit was working on them. And sometimes you can catch the other way. Body language, sometimes the second we bring up money, the arms get crossed. Or they start looking toward the wall or looking at the decorations of the pumpkins on the side. You weren't even noticing that until I said it. 
Or sometimes people just roll their eyes, oh, we're talking about money today. We catch that, <laughs> just so you know. Uh, I had a lady at a church, a, a, a previous ministry, actually several ministries ago, and any time I talked about a wife submitting to their husbands, she wouldn't have it. And she would let me know by her body language in the crowd. The first Sunday ever, I ever said it, and all I did was read the verse. By the way, there's verses in there about that. We're not going to talk about it today because I, I want to keep some friends. But the first time I ever read, she just put her head down and looked at the ground for the rest of the sermon. And I kind of knew something was off. Something was off. The second time I ever read it, she just looked up at the sky and just let me know by her body language she's not listening. The third time I ever mentioned submitting to your husband, she got out, slammed her Bible on the seat next to her, and walked out. And actually, it was so noticeable, the whole crowd just, there was eyes like this for the rest of the sermon. Like, what did you just do to me? After the service, she said, anytime you ever say, submit to your husbands again, I will walk out every time. And she held her word on that. So guess what I did the next Sunday? I introduced church without even, I just introduced church with this verse right here, Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And she got up and she walked out. <laughs> So sometimes it's not very subtle that you don't like the topic. Sometimes it is subtle. I know this is an uncomfortable topic. You know what's weird? I don't know why it's uncomfortable. We talk about money all the time in every other arena of our life. We talk about it with our job. We talk about it with our coworkers. We talk about it with our friends. We talk about it with our family. We talk about money everywhere else. But the second you walk into church and you talk about money, what are you doing? I was listening to uh, the radio this week. I'm an AM radio guy. I'm a talk show radio guy because music stinks right now. How many of you are, the modern music is just really bad. Anyway, what did you say, Doug? Nope. <laughs> anyway, you didn't hear what he said, and that's a good thing. Um, a, so I'm an AM radio guy, and there was a financial advisor of some sort. Stay out of my preaching. There is a financial advisor that got on. And guess what I did when he started giving advice about retirement and how to make investments? Guess what I did to the radio? I turned it up. Because, hey, he's about to give some advice. I'm going to get some free advice in my car. I'm driving to wherever I was driving to. And he's going he's to give me some secrets about the stock market or about uh, retirement accounts or IRAs or whatever. I want to I hear this. And so I turned it up. And I don't get that we will turn up the radio when it comes to some stranger we've never met before on AM radio. But when we walk into church and we mention money, we turn the radio down. And we turn the preacher off. And we're going to hear from the one who knows the most about money. Amen? So let's turn up the volume. No, not really, Jay. But let, no. let's turn up our listening ears to what God has to say about money. I don't get why this is not talked about. I don't get why we don't listen to it. I don't get why we turn the volume down. And, and this is how I want to illustrate it. I want you to imagine that there's a dresser right here, a dresser of drawers. Let's say there's five or six drawers. And, and I think this is why there is a basic misunderstanding about the Christian faith. I think this is why we are uncomfortable talking about money in church, because this is how we've approached life. The dresser represents our life, and each drawer, one drawer represents our faith, another drawer represents relationships, another drawer represents work, another drawer represents money, another drawer represents um, uh, parenting, another drawer represents our hobbies, whatever it might be. And we're okay if we come to church and we open the drawer of faith. 
But if you come to church and open the separate drawer of money, whoa, whoa, you're, 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 you're skipping drawers now. That's not the right drawer. I come to church to hear about the drawer of faith. This is not where we talk about the drawer of money. But here's what's wrong with that. The second we make faith just one of our many drawers, even if it's the top drawer, we're not talking about the Christian faith anymore. Because the reality is faith should never be one of our drawers. Faith should be the entire dresser. It should encompass our entire life. And all the other drawers fall under the dresser of faith. It's not really the Christian faith until the entire dresser is our faith. And now it's all free game whenever we talk about it. So I don't, that's just a basic misunderstanding of the Christian faith. Another way to say it, the biblical way to say it is, every area of my life is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So Jesus opened the drawer labeled money all the time. And for some reason, at church, when we open the drawer labeled money, we get our fingers crushed. <laughs> Somebody slams the drawer. So the title of our message is, In God We Trust. Would you say that out loud with me? In God We Trust. And ironically, it's printed on money because nothing shows where our trust is more than what we do with our money. Phil Claycomb, the founder of Nexus, the organization that helped start 57 churches now, I think, 58 maybe. This is church number 51 or 52 in that. If you ever get to talk to him, and he's been here once, but if you ever end up in a conversation with him, sometime in the conversation you're going to hear him say, nothing displays where you are spiritually more than what you do with your money. Amen. Nothing. And the first time he said that to me, we were in a car, we were driving through Louisiana, and he said, you know, what you do with your money displays everything we need to know about where you are in your spiritual life. And I, my, my natural tendency is just to disagree. <laughs> when somebody says never or always, I, ah, wait a minute. And I started mentally going through the Bible. There's got to be something else that reveals where I am spiritually more. And as we were sitting there driving through the most boring drive in history through Louisiana, it hit me, I think he might be right. Nothing reveals my spiritual health more than my bank account. And as strong as Phil says it, Jesus said it stronger. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do we need to, need, do we need to read another verse? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, here's what it, order, of, order of words matter. It doesn't say this. Where your heart is, there your treasure is. Though that's true. If you ever notice where your heart is, you're, you'll start investing that way. But actually, Jesus says, if you're having, if you walk in here today a little bit stagnant in your faith, if you walk in here today with a desire to love God more, and how many of you would love to have a greater relationship with God today when you walk out than when you walked in? That's all of us. He says, if you want that, if you want your heart to be to be gravitating toward Jesus more or toward God more, if you want that, here's what you do. Put your treasure with Jesus, your heart will follow. That's the order. Invest in Jesus, your heart will follow. Invest in God, your heart will follow. Invest in his body, the church, your heart will follow. Where your treasure is, what follows is your heart. When God looks at your money, what does he conclude about your heart? Next verse, verse 24. Why does he say verse 21? Because of 24. No one, everybody say no one. No one. That includes you. No one 
can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. That word means impossible. You cannot serve both at the same time, God and money. You cannot do it. Now, I used to disagree with this. It's a little bit weird that little Nathan would disagree with Jesus as if I know more than him. But I used to internally think, Jesus is wrong. I think I can still love money and still love God at the same time. I I think I can pull it off. He didn't mean no one. I used to think that. I, I, I like money. How many of you like money, by the way? Let's just raise our hand and get this out of the way. If, you're, if your hand's not up, our lying room is right behind that wall right there. You can go to that lying room. I think I can pull it off, Jesus. I can love money and you at the same time. But here's the problem with that. Here's, here's the problem. There's a specific line that says you cannot be devoted to both. And what I specifically disagreed with is you can't be devoted to one and, and despise the other. I said, no way. But here's what I started to discover. If I am devoted to money, Jesus will get in the way of that because Jesus will call me to help the poor and Jesus will call me to help the church and Jesus will call me to help the homeless and Jesus will call me to follow him and how he extravagantly gave away his life. Jesus is a giver. And if I am to follow Jesus, I will turn into a, I can't be devoted to money. Because I will end up despising Jesus because I'm so in love with money because Jesus will start to call me to give away myself. And I'll start to hate the church. And I'll start saying statements. Here's here's some statements. They have no business talking about money to me. That's when you know. It's already happened. Or yeah, I'll come to your church, but the second you talk about money, I'm out of there. Or... uh, I'm already thinking about ways to be sick next Sunday because if we're going to be in a series about money, I'm going to all of a sudden have the flu next Sunday. I want to give you three hints, three clues that money is already competing with God in your heart. These, uh, these would be good to know. Number one, here's a clue that money is competing in your heart with God. You think your money belongs to you. Now, if we don't, if we don't cover anything else, you've, you've probably heard a speaker say, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Well, here it is. Here's the, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. My money is not mine. It's God's. My money is not mine. It belongs to him. If we would just grasp this theology right here, this would not be an uncomfortable topic this morning. If this is uncomfortable to you, then this is an issue for you. Your money does not belong to you. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Job 41, verse 11, everything under heaven, this is God talking, everything under heaven belongs to me. So this last week, um, I had a Zoom call, a, uh, you know, an online, you guys know what a Zoom call is, an online call, we're kind of like FaceTime, Skype. I had a call with a financial guru guy in Chicago, and we put together the Venture Christian Church 2020 budget. It was so much fun. Um, (laughs) It was a delightful week. 
And I had to do a lot of study and a lot of crunching of numbers before we even had the meeting. And I had to, I had to come prepared. And for those of you who are in the business world and, and you've put together budgets, you know how exciting this is, <laughs> putting together a budget. But uh, I, uh, me, and, me and this guy in Chicago, we, we put together the budget. And one of the things that we had to do, one of the things that we had to do, we walked through every expense we made in the last year. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> I got up that morning looking so afforded to that. And do you know why we did that? Do you know why I had, I had to give an account for all that money? Do you know why I had to do that? And by the way, I wasn't nervous about it. Just in, in, If we had been shady, if we had done some cheating, if we had cut some corners, I would have been a little bit nervous going into that meeting. But I found myself not nervous because there was no cutting and there was no shadiness that went on with the money. But do you know why I had to give an account for every single expense that we made in the last 365 days? Because all that money that we dealt with wasn't my money. There are people in this room who have given to Venture Christian Church. There are people outside this room all over this country who have given to Venture Christian Church. By the way, we have some visiting fundraiser, uh, fundraising people here today from Kansas. I'm so excited that they're here. We have people here and people not here who have donated to the ministry of Venture Christian Church. I wasn't working with my money. I was working with other people's money. And whenever you work with other people's money, you have to give an account to a board, a system, a meeting, a management team, or some financial guy in Chicago. We have to give an account for how we handled other people's money. And I started to think when the meeting was finally over, when the budget time was finally over, I turned off the computer, and I thought, what if I would have to do that with God? What if I had a Zoom call with God, which, by the way, God doesn't need Zoom, and I had to go through a spreadsheet about all the money God gave me in the last 365 days and every expenditure the Bolt family made? I wonder how that meeting would go. But you know God already knows, don't you? He doesn't need a spreadsheet. He doesn't need an appointment. He doesn't need a meeting. He already is watching how we spend the money that he has given us. It's his money. We will give an account because it's not my money. Number two, a clue that you have a money heart issue is giving is what you do with your, what's the last word? Leftovers. This is how most Christians approach giving. It's not that I'm not giving. It's, that, it's just that I'm going to give what I have left over. It's not that I'm not giving. It's just that once the bills and the hobby and the vacation and all that is paid for and the mortgage and the property taxes, and after I'm shocked by the property taxes, <clears throat> do I have anything left over? If I have something left over, then I'll give it to the church, and I won't be happy about it either. <laughs> One of the ways you know that you have a heart issue here is that you give with your leftovers. That's not what the Bible teaches about giving. There is a word that the Bible uses called this right here. It's called First fruits. Everybody say first fruits. It means what it sounds like. Out of the crops that the old, they, they didn't deal with paper money with Alexander Hamilton. He was never on any of their money in Israel. They dealt with crops, and God commanded, even before the law, even before the Ten Commandments, he dealt with it with Abel and Cain. He demanded first fruits. So Abel gave the first of his produce, and Cain gave what was left over. And God was displeased. 
And we sit here and we think, well, that's reasonable, just giving what I have left over. I think that would be generous. But the Bible teaches this. The Bible teaches if you're not giving back to God, that's not a failure of generosity. That is called stealing. That's called robbing. We often say, well, I'm not being very generous. Actually, God doesn't use the word. He says you're stealing from me. And so I want you to take a moment. I want you to grab the envelope that you were handed, giving in um, whenever you walked in. Don't open it yet. Don't open it yet. Obey instructions, Adam Davis. I know you. You're from Dunlap, Illinois. You guys couldn't obey instructions there. Um, don't open it yet. Raise your hand if you did not get an envelope. Uh, we have some extra envelopes. Doug, we have a few people right back here who didn't get an envelope. Some of you came to church today just because you heard there was an envelope getting given out, and you thought, hey, Get dressed real quick, honey. We're coming. Now we're talking church. Now, here's what I want you to know. What is in this envelope is not money. Open it up and somebody tell me what is in the envelope. <sighs> Better than money. <laughs> M&M's. <laughs> We had a few people guess it was M&M's, and they were asking for a second envelope right before church. Nathan, do we have any left over? You should have, if you can kind of peek open, you should have 10 M&M's in there if I was any good at counting yesterday. You should have 10 M&M's. If there's a hole in your envelope, one may have fell out, Um, or I ate a few, or Tyler was around me. But these 10 M&Ms, and, and, and you can put them in the palm of your hand or you can keep it in, uh, in the envelope. We're going to work with these for just a second. Those 10 M&Ms, Tim, Tim Lucas did this illustration, and I'm going I'm to use it here this morning. Those 10 M&Ms represent your income, whether your income is 5,000, 50,000, or, or, or 550,000. Those 10 M&Ms represent what you bring in in a year. And here's what I want to show you. Here's how the average American Christian, not the average American, here's how the average American Christian handles their 10 M&Ms. So here's what we're going to do. The first one is this. The first 30% of the 10 M&Ms go to your housing. So take three, representing three, and pop it in your mouth. Eat those three M&Ms. This is apartment, this is housing, this is condo, this is your power bill, this is your mud taxes. Never heard of mud taxes before I got here. Um, This is maintenance, this is the roof over your head, this is you had to fix the air conditioning unit, this is all that stuff, the maintenance on the house. About 30% of the average American Christian's income goes toward housing. By the way, at the end of the year, Chelsea and I, eh, it's really just me, I, I, I get together and I start putting together all and I wondered what percentage has went to our housing. And for us, if it ever goes over 33%, we start making an adjustment because it should never go over one out of three. But the average American Christian spends about 30% uh, on housing. So that's three M&Ms. All right, the next one, we spend about 20% on our health care. This is pop two more in your mouth. You're not going to be hungry for lunch when this is all said and done. This goes toward glasses. This goes toward cleaning of your teeth. This goes toward that emergency. This goes toward cavities, premiums, and... So now we're already at 50. You only have five M&Ms left in your possession. You have 50% of your income left. Another 20% goes toward recreation and personal needs. So pop two more into your mouth. 
This is simply your pleasure, the clothes that you wear, the movies that you go to. If you buy popcorn at the movies, this number goes up to 50%, not 20%, because it is ridiculous how much they charge for popcorn. So we sneak it in illegally. This is ball games. This is World Series tickets. If you have any, remember your preacher in the days of your youth. Um, vacation. This is Galveston Sunday afternoon trip. This is just your recreation and personal needs, about 20%. All right, the next line item for the average American Christian is actually, pop it on up there, Alex. Believe it or not, you spend about, we spend about 14% of our money on food. And we check this hard because eating out is expensive. Can somebody say amen? amen. And I want to eat a Papa dough, but I saw, their, I saw their menu, and we can't pull it off. But about 14%, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to eat because 14% is kind of a weird number. You really can't cut your M&M 1.4, and so pop in one in your mouth, just one M&M in your mouth this morning. This is Starbucks. This is groceries. This is all that stuff. Another 14% goes to your automobiles. This is the vehicle that you drove to church today. This is the gas that you put in. This is the tires that you had to have changed. This is the oil change. This is your insurance. And so 14%. So here's what I want you to do, because just to round off the 14 and the 14, pop in two in your mouth, because that's 28%, those, those final two. So we'll round it up to three. So pop in two in your mouth. And some of you, this has been your favorite sermon so far just because of the M&Ms. Question. How many do you have left? You only had nine. Man, we have, a, we have an unsatisfied customer this morning. <laughs> Give me another job. All right. Thank you, Jim. Um, you have zero M&Ms left. Why? Because the average American Christian actually takes 100% of their M&Ms, and they spend it on who? Themself, me, myself, and I. Give it all back to me. Remember what's printed on our money. In who we trust, in God we trust. That's our pledge. But the reality is, you give me 10 M&Ms, God, I'm going to spend all 10 on me, the average, here it is, the average American Christian is stealing from God. So their final number, the average American Christian gives 2%, 2%. It's actually 1.2, but we rounded it up to 2 because I love you. The average American Christian gives 1% to 2% of their money back to the Lord we spend 98 to 99% of, of our M&Ms on ourselves. The problem is this. Nathan, if you give me more M&Ms, I'd give more back to God. <laughs> if, you, if I would have more money, if I would have a higher income, then this wouldn't be an issue. Is that true? Because when you got your last raise, is that what you did? Or did you invest more into retirement? Neither. <laughs> thank, you for the, thank you for the honesty, Marcella. Wow. <laughs> if you're not going to give to God, at least. Anyway. Whenever we get more, whenever we sell that house and make that big profit, whenever we make that business move, whenever we got that promotion, and whenever we made more, look, look back at your history. Whenever you started making more, is that what happened? You started giving more to God whenever you got more M&Ms? That, that, that is not how it works. Because we end up giving from our leftovers rather than our first fruits. Here's my question. Who owns all your M&Ms? God. God's always the right answer in church. God. 
He owns all the M&Ms that we have. Interesting twist. God gave you those M&Ms. We say, in God we trust, and God says, in you do I trust. I trust you with this. Whoa. God trusted you with those M&Ms. God trusted you with that income. Every year, God is trusting you. Every year, God is trusting you with more. Every year, God is trusting you with more. We say, in God we trust. He says, in you I trust. I trust you will honor me with the money that I give you. By the way, M&M stands for this. Remember this in your mind. M&M stands for money manager, okay? How about the deep theology in this sermon today, guys? So God says every week, I'm going to give you 500 M&Ms or 1,000 M&Ms or 1,500 M&Ms. If it's 500, I want you to give 50 back to me. If it's 5,000, I want you to give 500 M&Ms back to me. If it's 50,000, I want you to give 5,000 M&Ms back to me. And you take what you have left over now. If it's 50, you take your 450 and you use it on your basic needs, your roof, your food, the, the clothes on your back, the ESPN that you need. You use it on all the basic needs and I'm going to trust you with that 450. Now, some of you might be inwardly saying right now, wait a minute, I'm the one who worked for my money. If you think that, if that's how you view it, then you've never read this next verse. You need to hear this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Who is giving you right now the air that you're breathing? We're working on borrowed air, my friends. <laughs> he doesn't have to give us this air. He doesn't have to give us the beautiful weather today. Everything that we have, every good and perfect gift comes from above. So here's how I want to illustrate this. Imagine you have some uncle who made some wise investments and, and it turned into a lot of money and he sold it off and it's now bringing in to your uncle $10,000 a month. And he said to you, I'm, I'm going to give you the $10,000 a month. Oh, okay. 10000 is pretty good. It's 120000 a year. I'm going to give you the investment. I'm going to entrust you with the money. Here's all I'm asking. Out of the 10000 a month, can you give me back 1000 so I can pay for my property, so I can pay for my power bill, my water bill, my insurance? Can can you give me back 1000 so I can take care of some needs if I give you 10000 a month? Would you do that? How many of you would take that deal? If you had an uncle who gave you, yeah, who gave you an inheritance of 10000 a month for the rest of your life, if you just give back 1000 to him, you would cheerfully, keyword, cheerfully, take that deal. Why? Because it's his money. It wasn't your money. He's giving it to you. It was never your money. So you cheerfully take it. I'll give you back 1000 Imagine what would happen if you stopped giving him back the 1000 That's called stealing. That's called robbing God. This is a test of our heart. This is a test of our character. I want to teach you a word. It's an Old Testament word. It's only used once in the New Testament. Here's the Old Testament word. It starts with letter T. It is called tithe. Everybody say tithe. tithe. It's an Old Testament word, and here's what it means. It means 10%. Now, we're going to get in next week, actually, how much was the tithe for the old... We're going to learn it was much higher than 10%. But the word actually means 10%. So if you give 11%, you're actually not tithing. You're giving above and beyond the tithe. We'll talk about it next week. But tithe means 10%. Here's how this is often preached. 
And maybe you've heard it this way by some well-intentioned preachers, and it is tempting to preach it like this, because this is such a touchy subject, and we're still crossing our arms a little bit right now. People get irritated at this topic, and so whenever we start talking about money, rather than say, how about we obey God with our 10%, rather than say that, we will start teaching, how about you ease into it and start with 4%. And then over time, you'll see that God is faithful, and then you move it to 5%, and then you move it to 6%, and then you move it to 7%, and then you move it to 8%, and we'll just ease into our obedience. Uh, I've heard it preached like that, and I'm tempted to preach it like that. I'm not going to preach it like that, and here's why. We don't preach obedience that way in any other area of our life. Hey, just ease into it. A uh, couple comes in. We find out that the husband's been having an affair and, and, and I tell them both, I say, hey, hey, sir, how about, I, I, I know you're having an affair seven days a week. How about we ease into this and you just have an affair three days a week now? How does that sound to you, honey? Does that sound, are we good at that Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? Um, and then over time, you'll see this is really working out. We'll pull back to two and eventually we'll pull back to one. Do, do you like that, ma'am? Oh, yeah, that's great. Thank you for this counseling session. We don't ease into obedience in any other area of our life, why would we do it with our money? So our key passage that we will read every message in this series is Malachi chapter 3. The famous passage is verse 10 because it's positive, but very rarely do we ever hear verses 8 and 9. Here's what verse 8 and 9 says. Will a mere mortal rob God? There it is. Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are you robbing me? Or how are we robbing you, God? And he says, in tithes and offerings. <clears throat> you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're stealing from me. God says, I want to bless you. Oh, we'll take it. God will take the blessing. How do we get it? He says, stop robbing from me, and I'll bless you. Uh, I'm going to get a blessing if I stop stealing from you? Yeah, that's how. And then we get to verse 10, and here's what he says. Bring the, what's the third word? Whole. Some of your translations say full, entire, 100%. Bring the, not ease into it. (laughs) Hey, bring 4%. We'll get there. Bring the whole tithe. So that's the only way we can preach it, church. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then the Lord says something very interesting. He says, test me in this. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. That's the command. And the Lord says throughout the other parts of the Bible, he says, do not put the Lord to the test. And yet here he says, you can test me in this. I'm okay with you testing me in this. He challenges you. Some of us like a good challenge. Bet you can't beat me in tennis. Oh, let's go play some tennis. There's a challenge there. Us Americans like challenges. He challenges us. Try me out. And what does he say you will get? I will throw open the floodgates of heaven 
and pour out so much blessing, you ain't going to be able to handle it. What does that mean? I, mean, I got your attention now. What does that mean? Uh, Nathan, I want to know what the blessing is. <laughs> How much is he giving back? <laughs> I got my notepad out. Tell me. What's God going to do? Now, here's the deal. He's going to do something different for you than he's going to do for the person next to you. I don't know what he's going to do for you. All I know is what he's done for me. He will bless you, and he might bless you with money. I hope he doesn't, because there are greater blessings than money. Money would be the smallest blessing he could possibly bless you with. But he, he might bless you with money. He might bless you with the healed relationship. He might bless you with the healed family. He might bless you with this answer to prayer. He might bless you with this or that, but he will give you so much blessing, you're going to be dodging blessings. Why? Because you gave the whole tithe. This is a test of our heart. This is a test of our character. Number three, another clue that you might think or, or that your heart is geared toward money. You think this sermon is stupid. <laughs> That would probably indicate you have a, <laughs> this is a stupid series. <laughs> uh, don't give up. See, Shira, <laughs> well done. Is it possible? So here's, here's what I've learned um, about myself. When I am really defensive about something, that's probably what I needed to hear. When Chelsea says something to me in the living room and I don't handle it well, I walk away to the other room pouting, but while I'm pouting, it hits me, ah. Oh, Shucks, that's probably what I needed to hear. <laughs> Whenever we're touchy about something, that's probably an area of obedience that we needed to lean toward. If you think this sermon is stupid, this is probably a sermon for you. Now, here's what's also interesting. There's some people, and I don't know who you are. There's some people in the room right now who's excited about this series. I know that sounds crazy. And you know why there's some people in here who want to grab the mic and talk about this to you? Because they've done it. They've tested God in this, and they found him to be faithful, and they want to run, run up here and grab a microphone and tell you it's true. Some of you are on the edge of your seat, and you say, it's about time. Oh, for 51, you're finally hitting it on number 52, <laughs> because you know it's true, and you know when God makes a promise, he comes through on his promise. <laughs> Probably the wrong movements. Church. Before we met here, we were at a middle school called Hopper Middle School. Before we were at Hopper Middle School, we met three times in a house, different, different houses. Our very first church service, some of you remember this, a very few of you remember this. Some of you remember we got to offering time, and I was explaining why we're passing the offering baskets, and someone interrupted me. And I just want to tell you right up front, don't interrupt me. But a lady came from the back row and came forward. And I thought, she's not. She's not going to do it. Oh, she's doing it. And she just started talking to the whole church, you know, the 30 of us who were in that house. And she just went off on how good God is. And she was begging our little house church, do it. And she was speaking from experience. And she started to, to, to go on and on. Do you remember this? She started to go on, and, on, and I'm sitting there, eyes big, what is, how do I stop the first church? I just, uh, nobody taught me how to, okay. But she, she, everything she said was right, and she couldn't contain her joy. And I will never forget that. 
because she had tested God in this. And she was begging everybody in the crowd, try him out. It works. Now, I don't encourage you to do that every Sunday here, to come up and interrupt us. But she was right. You test God in this, God will be faithful. This is all about the heart. You know what's interesting? When we take communion on the first day of the week, and you ought to take communion on the first day of the week, it's your first fruits. It keeps your mind, it keeps your mind on God at the beginning of the week. You're starting the week off with your mind on the cross. When you come to church on the first day of the week, you're starting your time. You're giving your first fruits of your time to God. You're kickstarting correctly. When you start your week off giving financially to the Lord, you're kickstarting your finances correctly in the week. And so for the Israelites, it was to give 10% of God's money back to the temple where they were being spiritually fed. For the New Testament believers, it's, it's to give 10% back to the church where you are spiritually fed. So if God gives you 100 M&Ms, you give him back 10. And here's what I want to show you this morning. God owns all the M&Ms. God owns all the M&Ms. God owns all the M&Ms. And whenever you test him in this and you give back 10%, God says, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to give back to you so much that you won't be able to contain it. You won't be able to handle it. This is what he's going to do. I can't handle it, God. I can't do it. I can't handle all this blessing. Keep giving. And God keeps giving you M&Ms over and over again. Will you stay for teardown today? We're going to need some brooms. And actually, that is a beautiful picture of what God promises to each and every one of us. When we say, in God we trust, we are trusting him to do that. But it starts with us giving the whole tithe. Would you look underneath your chair for a second? Malachi chapter 310. There is a, there's a sheet that's turned upside down, a rectangular sheet. If your chair doesn't have one under it, the next one does. I did about every other chair. I'm going to give you a challenge this morning. It is not a Nathan challenge. And let me say this. It's not a venture challenge. This is a challenge that comes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It is the 90-day the, the tithe challenge. What would happen in your life if for the, just the next 90 days you obeyed God in this and you tested him? And you gave the first fruits, the first 10%, back to the one who gave it to you to begin with. You gave it back to the uncle who gave you the inheritance. What would God do in your life for the next 90 days? And here's what we're going to tell you. We're going to tell you if, you, if you sign up for this and you put your email on this, and I'm going to give you more information probably tomorrow when I, when I email all these back, and I'm going to give you some information on it about how to do it. If God doesn't bless you in the next 90 days, guess what we're going to do? We're going to give all of it back to you. All of your tithes for the next 90 days, if you do it and God doesn't bless you, we're giving it back. And you say, well, that's kind of risky. <clears throat> Not really. You know why I don't think it's risky? I believe him. I believe him. I think he will do it.
And so we are putting a 90-day tithe challenge out here. Here's your two options. Here's my two options. Here's Chelsea and I's two options. Option number one, according to Malachi chapter three, keep 100% for yourself and live with a curse. Or number two, return 10% and live with a blessing. Which one do you want? Some of you have needed a spiritual breakthrough for a while. This, this has been the issue. This is why you can't break through. Jay, I'm going to move over to this one. This is why you can't break through. Boy, this is weird. You know, the country that's been given the most M&Ms give back the fewest M&Ms. This is weird, what we're dealing with. God, I want a spiritual breakthrough. It's easy. Watch the blessings come. Some of you know it. I'm just, I'm up against a wall. I can't grow. There's something blocking me. This is the blockage. And if this blockage was in the veins around your, the arteries around your heart, you'd go to the doctor and you'd get it fixed. But this is a blockage in your spiritual life. We're going to talk about the rich young ruler in a few weeks. Oh. This is where the spiritual breakthrough is getting capped. And there, I hope not. I believe in you guys. I'm afraid. I'm not afraid. Um, I've seen it happen where people hear this. And they still don't do it. And they choose the curse over the blessing. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that. But there are many people, American Christians, the average American Christians give 1.5% back to God. They're choosing the curse over the blessing. So we have confidence that God will uphold his end of the promise. Just so you know, you need to know this as we close. Venture Christian Church is a tithing church. When you put money in the offering basket, we give 10% back to starting other churches. You know why? Because Nexus has given to us, the organization that helped start this, we are giving it right back to them so that they can plant other churches, so that others can come to Christ, so that others can be benefited from the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are giving it back. We are starting off the DNA of this church as being a tithing church. Let me tell you something else. It's in our bylaws. You can't be an elder at Venture Christian Church unless you tithe. You can't be a staff member at Venture Christian Church unless you tithe 10%. If you are not, it will be addressed. Because we don't want elders and we don't want staff here. We don't want the leaders of this church having a spiritual heart issue. The one that reveals a spiritual heart issue more than any other issue. If you can't give back to God what is already his, you are not leading this church. We are serious because God is serious about how we handle his money. In God, we trust. Let's pray. Father, we believe there's a spiritual break here today for somebody. Somebody's life has changed this morning. Somebody's been living with the curse. Somebody in this room has been choosing the curse over the blessing. And Malachi is about as clear as it can be. We would have to choose to be disobedient. This is not a matter of confusion. This is not a matter of I don't understand the passage. You are clear on this. 
Father, help us to have faith. Grow our trust in you. May our national motto actually be lived out by the churches in the United States of America. It's not expected from everybody else, but would the people who say they follow Jesus live this out by example? And may we be the ones to lead the charge. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.